his half-brother, another one of David's sons. And when he realized what he had done and he felt the guilt of what he had done, he, he ran and hid from his father, David the king. He was afraid of what David might do. Joab was a friend of David's. and He was a general in David's army. And he intervened on behalf of Absalom. He went to David and he intervened on Absalom's behalf and convinced David to allow Absalom to come back into the city, to come back uh, as if nothing had happened. There was no confession on Absalom's part. There was no repentance. There was no admittance of guilt. He just wanted to come home. So Joab convinced David to allow Absalom to come home. And he did. David gave in to that persuasion. Because after all, it was his son. He really wanted to come home. And he really wanted his son to be home. And so he allowed David to come back into the kingdom, back into Jerusalem. The next thing Absalom did was lead a rebellion to take the kingdom away from David. He led a rebellion. He led, he led an army. He chased David out of Jerusalem for, for a while until, until David uh, recovered. Now, the reason I tell you that story before we read our scripture is because that's a picture of men and women in our world today. It's a, it's a picture of what's going on in our world today. Would, would you agree with me that humankind is in need of some kind of reconciliation? I mean, you know, you, I just can't believe the battle that seems to be going on in our culture and in our society. It, it, in, in history, you know, it's not anything new in history. In every culture, uh, in, in every society, there is a realization that we are separated from some, in, in our case, we're separated from God. In some cultures, it's just we're separated from some greater good that, uh, that, that we're missing somehow or another. And we see that in, in our world. If you've been watching the news this week, uh, you know, I don't know if you shoot missiles at a country, if you're already at war with them, or if you're just on the brink of it being at war with them. You know, but the things that are going on in Syria are not good. They're gassing people with chlorine. Uh, we're shooting missiles at them. We know that there's a, a larger war on terror you know, that's going on all around us all the time. Uh, in our country, we face difficulties with Iran. I, you know, that's been going on as long as I can remember. I don't know that we've ever got over that. Uh, North Korea. Looks like we may be going to have trade trouble with China. I mean, you, you name it. There, there's a problem. There's a difficulty. There's a, there, there's a need for reconciliation in, in our world between countries, between people. Uh, even right here at home, we see two polarities to almost every question imaginable. You, you know, things that you would have never even thought of 
that we would have disagreed on 20 years ago, now we can't agree anymore. Whichever side you're on, it's occupied our news to the point, let's be honest, we're just tired of listening. We're just tired of hearing. Uh, But I think it would be fair to say that people are just at odds with one another. Would you agree? In the paper, on the radio, and news channels, social media, just spend any time, and you'll know that there is something desperately wrong. The Bible says that rebellion against God results in rebellion against one another. But that's not the sermon. And it would really be nice if there was rest for the weary when when you go to church. No, no. In our church, in our little group here, we have a really close fellowship, a really close relationship. Um, I don't know that there's any war going on between us, but it hasn't always been that way. And it's not always that way in in every church. You know, they, they get crossways with one another. And we see there's a need for reconciliation within churches, within denominations, between denominations. And, and all of those ugly things happen, even, even where it ought not in the church. And then I'm going to meddle just a little bit. Even in your own home, there's dissension. If, if you'll be honest, I know dark place in your heart, some place or another, there's, there's need for reconciliation with God. You need to, to turn something over tonight. There's been a, a, a commercial recently uh, on, on the TV, it may just be on, on the uh, satellite feed that I get, but um, and it, it's an app for your iPhone. It's, it's not an app, it's a Thing that attaches to your iPhone, and you take it and you hook it to your iPhone, and then you take your fingers and you put one finger on each of two pads, and it makes an electrocardiogram of your heart, so you can say on your iPhone and send to your doctor. And supposedly, it's a medically accurate electrocardiogram. I don't know if you've ever had an electrocardiogram or not, but that is a big deal. They hook you with all these wires, and then, you know, but now they just, yeah, they do. They took that wire and they drilled it right in. But what if there was an app that you could put on your smartphone that you could just take and you could touch your two fingers to it, and it would give you your spiritual would tell you where you were spiritually and in relationship to, to the Creator. And I think if it was there, you know, I don't want to get the one that shows me your electrocardiogram because I don't want to know. I especially don't want to get the one that would show the dark blackness of your heart. Because I know it's there. You know it's there. And you would see the ugliness and the lack of forgiveness and anger and the deceitfulness and you wouldn't be able to, to 
17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you for your word. Help us to know and believe in your word to us. In Jesus' name. There's a couple of things I want you to see in that passage. And, and the first is this. I mean, it's the obvious. You know, God creates a new person. You know, if you, if you repent, turn your heart to Christ, he, He'll make you a new person. I was, um, I was reading a, a story this week, and it brought up something. I, so I went back and I researched it. And it was about a, a guy by the name of Charlie Harris. You guys have probably never heard of Charlie Harris. I just, or you probably have heard of Charlie Harris, but you don't remember you heard of Charlie Harris. Because back in 1983, he was driving home. He lived in Augusta, Georgia. He was driving home, and he heard an announcement on the radio, a newscast on the radio, that the president was playing golf uh, with some of the members there at Augusta National Golf Course. And this guy, Charlie Harris, had, had just lost his job. Uh, he had lost his job in a mill. And he was mad because he felt like the, the jobs were going overseas. Uh, he had started drinking. He had lost his wife. Uh, his, his wife had left him. And things were just going downhill for, for Charlie Harris. So he decided, I need to talk to the president. You ever, you ever felt like that? I just need to talk to the president. So he went home and he got a gun. And he went back and he crashed his truck through the gate at uh, Augusta National and got in. And when it came, when he was finally stopped by a barrier, he got out and he ran to the clubhouse and he took eight people hostage in the clubhouse. Now, do you remember that? I don't remember that happening, but uh, that's why I went back and checked it to make sure that I wasn't just reading a story, but, but this, is, this really happened. Um, and he took the, has, the, the hostages and he got them together and 
One of them was the president's chief of staff, uh, or chief of publicity. Anyway, he was related to the president somehow or another. The rest of them were just in the clubhouse. You know, they, they didn't have anything to do with it. The, the, he got them all. He took a crystal and he fired it into the floor to let them know that he was serious and if you're going to fire a pistol where the, around where the president is you better be serious because they're going to take it serious uh, and of course the secret service gathered around the president and uh, the president was Reagan and you know how he was he says well let me just talk to you, you know? and so he picked up his phone it was a uh, radio phone they didn't have cell phones then he picked it up and they called the clubhouse, and the guy answered and uh, said, it's for you. And they handed it to Charlie Harris. And uh, he said, would you please hold for the president? And he hung up on him. He says, they're lying to me. That's not really going to happen. Anyway, they go through all of this stuff and everything. And finally, the uh, Secret Service just took the president away. By now, it's all on TV, and they could see what was happening on the TV and everything. And they took the president away. And uh, when he saw the president leaving, he surrendered. He gave up. And then he was arrested, obviously, and accused. And, and eventually, he went to jail. He was sentenced to 15 years threatening the life of the president. Of course, he had never threatened the life of the president, but that's what they, they charged him with. And he went, he went to jail for 15 years. He only served five. When uh, he's right away in prison, he got in, in trouble. Because he was at war with himself. He was at war with the whole, those around him. And he got in trouble, and they threw him into solitary confinement. He called it the hole. They threw him in the hole. And when they put him in solitary confinement, the guards gave him a bath. They said, well, he didn't have anything else to do. Didn't have anybody to talk to. Didn't have anybody to cuss up. Didn't have anything to drink. He says, I, I wasn't able to sleep. I wasn't able to eat. Here's what he said. He says, I was so full of hatred, I didn't care if I lived or not. And he says, finally, out of desperation, I took that little Bible and I started reading. And the more I read, the better I slept, the better I ate. My temper started to ease. And I love this phrase. And there in the hole, God took me by the beard hard to be a Christian in jail. But I told the Lord, I'd give my life to him and I would do whatever he wanted to let me get out of here without killing somebody. So five years later, he got out. And at the point when I was reading the article, it was 1988, I think, was the article that I found on the internet about this. He was teaching Sunday school. Sunday school superintendent the minister of the church says this church means everything to Charlie 
it wasn't for him and his family, we'd go hell. He's got his wife back. He's got his family back. See, God, God made a real difference in the life of Charlie Hilton. Charlie said this. By the way, when he's off site this week, Charlie said this. I want everyone to know if God can do this miracle for Charlie Hilton, he can do it for anybody. People like me can do things for him. Not by preaching, but from the Lord who delivered the ministry. You know, that's what Paul says. Could you see what Paul says here? It's how he described our salvation in Jesus Christ. And you know, and we, and we don't have to be in prison. We don't have to we don't have to be people who are so angry that, that it just exudes from us. It doesn't have to be the kind of people who take hostages in order to talk to somebody else. It doesn't even have to be people who, who are losing their family. All you have to have is that little meter that would tell you the condition of your heart and you'd realize that all that stuff is in your heart too. That's who we are as people because we are disassociated. We're disenfranchised. We're alienated from God. And Paul tells us that he will give us a new spirit, a new speech, a new character, new acts, a new plan, a new purpose, a new desire. As a matter of fact, he said, everything becomes new. All things become new. You know, it's, 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 it's like a transformation. It's like being one of those people that everybody puts the L up and calls you a loser. And then all of a sudden you realize you're not a loser anymore because you're on God's side. You're, you're with Jesus Christ. You're part of, a, 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 of a being a new creature. There's a sports writer back in the late 1800s that said if you're a loser, here are five advantages of being a loser. Do you know there were advantages of being a loser? First thing is there's everything to hope for that you might win and nothing to fear. You're not going to lose a thing. You don't lie awake at night because you are. An occasional victory is a surprise and a delight. There's no danger of any club passing you in the No, people don't ask you 50 times a day what's the score. They just take it for granted that you lost. Paul says, you don't have to be that way. You can be a new creature in Jesus Christ. Then he says in the 21st verse, he said, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see the difference in that? From, from the person with the black heart, the person with the anger built up, the person with the dissension in their life, you become the person of righteousness. Jesus gives us his righteousness. And we have his righteousness in our lives. But then once he does that, Paul says, 
Not only does he give you a new life, but he gives you a new job. He gives you a new job. He makes you a new creature. You realize that he made you a new person so that you could become a new person maker. He wants you to be an ambassador, a minister of reconciliation, he calls us. It becomes our responsibility to try to bring people who are at enmity with God into the fold of God's kingdom. He says we are to be reconciling, reconciling people to one another and reconciling people to God. I have a, in the class that I teach on relationships, I'm teaching pastors about uh, building relationships uh, in their family and in their church and in their community. One of the verses that I, that I point to them is, is, is this verse that um, he has called us to the ministry of reconciliation. You know, and sometimes we forget about it. You know? He has called every one of us, and let me, let me change the word minister of reconciliation to a different word, one that's more common to us. He calls you when he makes you in Christ, he calls you to be a peacemaker. To be a peacemaker. We're not to be at enmity with others. We're to bring peace. And bring peace in our world. And bring peace in our communities. And bring peace between God and men. God and men. Men and men. Women and women. Men and women. We're to, we're to bring them all together in, in Jesus Christ. To Think about the title. The ambassador. Ambassador for Christ. You know what an ambassador is? Right? An ambassador is one who is sent by a king or by a country to go to another country and represent his country in that new country. In the office of the Secretary of State, there's a, a globe. There was a globe. I don't know that the present Secretary of State uses it. But you, you go in there and you talk to the Secretary of State because you've been appointed as an ambassador. And you, you, you go over to the globe, you scan the globe. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that uh, those of us who have smartphones remember what a globe was, right? It's a a map of the world in a circle on an easy screen. And the ambassador would say, I want you to go and put your finger on the map. And, you know, after all, you got to make sure the guy knows where he's going and what he's doing. So uh, they go and they put their finger. And, and they can all do it. You know, they're, they're, they're smart people. They know what they're doing. But um, Mike Mansfield was appointed as ambassador to gave him that job. And he used to go in there and spin the globe and put your finger on the map. So he goes in there and he scans the globe and he takes his finger and he takes his finger and he puts it on the United States flag. Changed the whole policy of 
up. This is your country. This is where we're sending you to go. Uh, you know, I'm ambassador for Christ. He is my king. I serve his interests. I follow his orders. If I'm a new person in Christ and he has looked in my heart and he has changed it for himself, and if I allow him to, I don't need that monitor, he will show me the ugliness in my heart. And I'm able to, to, to correct that, repent, and on his behalf, I want to remove it. And the reason that I want to remove it is because I'm his ambassador. I'm an ambassador for Christ. As though God were begging you through me, I beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Don't let there be anything in my life that would keep you from coming to know God. And that's my job. And not as a pastor. That's my job as a believer. That's your job as a believer. You get your heart right with God. You let Christ remake you. You give your heart to Him. Move everything that keeps you apart from a deep relationship with God. And then you become an ambassador for Christ in our community and in our world. And then, one, one last thing. Not only does He give you a new job, He gives you a new message. Listen to the message. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If we just were to brainstorm a minute the possible ways that God could have handled the situation of darkness in our world. You know, he could just overlook it. You know, there are those who believe that that's what he does. That uh, God is love, and eventually everyone's going to be okay. That uh, God is love, and uh, God's plan is to bring everybody home, no, no matter what they do or what they're like. That's, that's what David did with Absalom. And how did that turn out for him? He eventually had to have, you know, Absalom was finally killed in, in the battle because David went out to Absalom and brought him home without any change in Absalom's heart. And God's love is such that he will forgive any person. He wants to forgive every person. Another way he, God could have done it would just be to let us bear the consequences of our sin. Um, but because of his mercy toward us, he, you know, he, he doesn't do that. He makes an offer that we should be able to refuse. But you know, there, there are countless numbers of people in our world who would just rather take their sin and run. They will. We run into them all the time they have sinned, but they continue in it and do nothing about it. Listen to what 
this. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a good king. You don't want to be like Absalom. made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that he might become the righteousness of God in us. When I I think about that verse, I know it's a poor comment here, but just for a moment. But I think it's so sensationalism. And I don't know, maybe there was. Maybe it wasn't quite like that. But I know this. Jesus Christ took my punishment on himself. And it's a story. The gospel story is a story about Jesus Christ who was sinless taking our sins and nailed them to the cross. And folks, if that's not the story, if that's not our message, We need to just close the Bible, shut down the church, give it all up. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself so that we can be the friend of God back in the family, made right, born again, reconciled to God. Paul says in Romans, he says, for God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet says when I tell you this about being in 
don't ignore it. Don't just let it pass. Don't receive that message in vain. Here's what he says. In working together in Christ, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Don't let it mean nothing to you. For he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. What can we say? Listen. Paul didn't take a break after writing chapter 5 because he continued to come back and start a new sentence. He wrote that at the end. If any man is in Christ, if any person is in Christ, sure that you're a part of that if. When you're in Christ, you're a new creation. So, you need to be reconciled to God. Give your heart to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You need to allow God to do the kind of things in your life that a prison guard Yeah, I just hate to tell you guys, you need to change jobs. You need to be an ambassador of Christ. I'm some of you already are. Think about that. You need to be an ambassador for Christ. How many ambassadors? many ambassadors, do you? Let me ask you this. How many opponents of the president do you know? Pretty long list, isn't it? I'll guarantee you your second list is longer than your first list. And it's probably the same thing. ambassadors, not prisoners. And I pray that you would make my heart pure, devoted to you. Always on board for my new job of being an ambassador. Bringing reconciliation
right next to me here. <laughs> from Alabama. And Toby lives here in, in the north. Just like you guys. Good to see you guys. Good to see you guys. Can you give me a sign? <laughs> you got the stumps out? Oh, okay. They're still in there. Um, the second thing I want to uh, I want to tell you is that uh, Patty told me just before we started that um, I can only imagine she's playing right now during the first service. So I don't know what else you have. I don't know, is it just today or is it all this week? Okay, it's on four times. There ought to be one of those four you can make. I, I, I promise you, you'll be blessed. If you're not, if you go and you're not blessed, just come and bring your ticket stub, and I'll pay you for it. Okay? Uh, I am that confident. So I'll accept David. David, I want you to be here. Did you enjoy me carrying your ticket stub anyway? Wouldn't you? Who needs that? <laughs> Uh, anyway, so so if you get a chance, Jennifer and I went and saw that last week, and uh, it was it was literally a blessing. It was so good. Has anybody else seen it yet? What'd you think? says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and 